This is the Sunday morning service, September 10th, 1989, at Long Hill Chapel. This is a reunion Sunday, and Pastor Bubna is preaching on the church that is in your home. He's preaching from the book Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Athia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful, both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back. Not mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that you may have some benefit that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a, a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner for Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Opening part of the letter, he says kind things, not in the means of flattery, but to be honest about his feelings to Philemon. He, he calls Philemon dear friend and fellow worker. He addresses Aphia, our sister, who may have been Philemon's wife, and Archippus, the fellow soldier, likely the elder of the church. But notice the last phrase in verse 2. And to the church that meets in your home. The church that meets in your home. Where did where did churches meet in the first century? Well, they didn't have buildings like churches do today. They met in people's homes. They were persecuted and, and often under great political pressure. It was not uncommon for believers to meet in someone's home. And, and the church there in Colossae met in the home of Philemon and his dear wife. Now, part of the... Uh, key to the growth of the church in those days was dynamic leadership. The elders who were appointed in every church to give spiritual leadership. But dear friend, we need to understand that vital to every church was the hospitality of somebody's home. The church couldn't meet if there wasn't hospitality. And the hospitality in Colossae was afforded by Philemon, an important person in that church. Hospitality and Christianity are inseparable. From the beginning of Scripture to the end, hospitality is woven as one of God's kingdom values. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah was condemned by God not merely because of sexual immorality, but because of its lack of hospitality. There's a horrible story in Judges 19 and 20 of a Levite who was traveling through Israel and stopped in the city of Gibeah. Now God instructed the Israelites that in every village where there would hardly ever be an inn or a hotel, that the elders were responsible for any strangers who were there at nightfall to invite them into their home and take care of them. In this story, the, the Levite comes to the city of Gibeah and there, there's no inn there. And he and his concubine sit at the city well at evening. And finally, one of the elders comes and invites him home to their house. But the, the ruffians of the city gather about the house and want to abuse this woman and are allowed to do so. And the judgment of God falls upon the city for their lack of hospitality. The disciples learned about hospitality from Jesus. On one occasion when he preached, and was thronged with people, he, he uh, told his disciples, we're going to go out in the wilderness and get away and rest. And when they got out there, the thousands of people followed them. And Jesus said to his disciples, how are we going to feed these people? The disciples had to be amazed. It never occurred to them that they were responsible to feed the people. But that day they learned from Jesus a kingdom value. In the kingdom of God, you feed people. I'm sure as long as they lived, they never forgot that Jesus said, we're going to feed these thousands of people. That's the way it is with me. When Paul wrote 
to young Timothy, the pastor, and to Titus. He instructed both of these pastors to appoint elders, and he listed all the qualities of elders, and he said among them, given to hospitality. Elders are given to hospitality. Philemon was like that. He and his dear wife hosted the church in their home. Think about uh, this imaginary scene for a moment. Suppose that we were trying to start a new congregation, just had maybe 30 or 40 or 50 people, and we wanted a place to meet. And some contractor came along and said, hey, I've built this great mansion out here, and it's not selling, it's set empty for a year. Why don't you use it to meet? say, well, man, that's a nice offer to be able to, to meet in this empty house, rent some chairs. That's, that's, that's an awful good, uh, a good offer. But how different if the contractor said, why don't you meet in my house, my home? It's different meeting in the contractor's empty house and meeting in the contractor's home. That's the idea of hospitality. Notice what Paul says about Philemon in verse 4. He said, I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. In verse 7, that you give me great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. The hearts of saints were being refreshed in the home of Philemon. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, here we are, hundreds of people in this crazy tent. And you're talking about meeting in a home. Is that where you think Christians ought to meet? Yes. Listen closely to what I'm saying. As this congregation meets in this brick building we call the chapel, it occurs to me that this is an extension of our homes and is the home where we meet. As I thought about this the last couple of weeks, it occurs to me that every time I come to the chapel building, I feel that it is an extension of my home. And that the way I relate to people in this building ought to be as if they were in my home. I believe that. I've been, I don't attend other churches uh, as often as most of you do. That is, I hope you're attending somewhere when you're not here. Maybe you're not. But I, I, I recall going in churches and uh, walking in the front door in the sanctuary. It doesn't take long to realize this congregation uses this building for its meetings. But this is not their home. This is not their home. I've been in churches like that often. But I've also been to churches where when you walk in the door... It is immediately evident that this place is the home of this congregation. And when they are here, it is like it's their home, and they are welcoming you into their home. I had an unforgettable experience in 1975. My mother learned that she had cancer in the summer of that year, and uh, it was far advanced, and she decided not to have any treatment. As soon as Jeannie and I could get out, we went out to be with her for a few days and encourage her. When Sunday came, my mother had been attending two or three different churches trying to decide where to go. She had moved there recently. And, and we decided to go to Hollywood Presbyterian Church. I had read a number of 
Lloyd uh, Ogilvie's books, and I was anxious to experience this great church. It's a congregation of about 2,000 people there that day, a large sanctuary. As we walked in, a couple greeted us at the door, warm, friendly people. I introduced myself, told them that we were from the Middle West, as we were then, but that my mother, who was with us, lived in the neighborhood, in the area. And they greeted us warmly. And then the, the, the lady especially wanted to meet my mother, since she lived locally, and asked my mother, how are you? And she asked in a way that made you free to tell the truth. And my mother, to my surprise, told her the truth. She said, I'm not well. I just learned this two weeks ago, but I have cancer, and it's not treatable. And she began to say this as a pastor. I thought, oh, Lord, what are these people going to do? She's, tell, she's laying his right on it. I thought, you know, they won't know what to say. And this dear woman never missed a beat. She wrapped her arms around my mother and said, would it be all right if I prayed for you? And right there, we bowed, and this dear woman said a brief prayer for my mother. And then they led us into the sanctuary and down towards the front. I like to sit in the front when I go to church. Uh, not everybody does, but everybody's got their own taste. And as she prepared to seat us, she introduced us to the couple that was sitting behind us. It was a, a lovely service, a mixture of dignity and worship and warmth. We got ready to go at the end and stood up. The couple behind us tapped us on the shoulder and told us they were glad to meet us. And then I told my mother lived in the neighborhood. The woman said, let me get your name and address because we got groups at our church that could really help you and I'll call you this week. I mean, this building, this big Hollywood Presbyterian church, it was the home where this, this congregation met and we were at home. I don't remember the pastor's sermon. But I will never forget, as long as I live, the hospitality of that place. There are uh, lots of people at Long Hill Chapel who have that kind of attitude. Who, when they come to our chapel building on Sunday to worship, it's their home. And they're having company, and they're, they're talking to the people around them as if they're company in their home. But not everybody's tuned into that yet. Can you imagine what it would be like if we had a thousand Philemons in our church? Huh? You could be a Philemon, you know. You, you could allow the chapel to be your home where you entertain people and touch them and love them as that couple loved my mother when we were in their congregation. I want you to think about that. The second the way the church is seen in this letter is Paul's prayer for Philemon in verse 6. Wonderful prayer. Paul said, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will be, have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. This remarkable little prayer states an important kingdom principle that's found all throughout the teachings of our Lord Jesus. Jesus said, he that will save his life will lose it, but he that will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He said to Philemon in the prayer, Philemon, you're a great a person of hospitality, but I'm praying that you will share your faith so that you may have a deep understanding of everything that we have in Jesus Christ. How does your faith grow? By giving it away. 
How do you deepen your understanding of Christ? By sharing your faith. Jesus taught the disciples that that day in the wilderness when the thousands of people followed them. And uh, Andrew found a boy with a, a lunch, five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, we're going to give this lunch away. And he prayed for it, over it, and thanked God for it, and they broke it and distributed it, and they fed 5,000 people besides women and children. Then he told them to go collect what was left over, and they brought back 12 baskets. I don't think those men ever forgot that. As long as they lived, they remembered, when you give your lunch away, there's plenty left over. For Jesus said, give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over, and that applies to your faith as well as every other part of your life. I, I have uh, watched Christians who have experienced this. We, we have a ministry at the chapel called Evangelism Explosion. It helps people learn how to share their faith. And I've seen people who, while they believed, were fairly vague about understanding how their faith all fit together. And I've watched while they've begun the haltering steps of learning to share their faith and, and watch their understanding deepen. I had someone say to me a while back, Pastor, I've been a Christian for years and never really understood it all, but as I began to commit myself to share my faith, the lights have gone on. I understand. Philemon was refreshing the hearts of the saints by hospitality. Paul wanted more for Philemon. He wanted his faith to be deepened by sharing it. Our congregation states uh, its goal in terms of every member a minister. A lofty goal. We want people to be ministers not because there's so much work to be done, but because we want them to know the joy of understanding the fullness of all that we have in Christ. Let me read this quote that's on the wall of my study from C.S. Lewis. It's a remarkable quote. He says this, If I am sure of anything, I am sure that Christ's teaching was never meant to confirm my congenial preference for safe investments and limited liabilities. Love anything, love anything, and your heart will be wrung and likely be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must never give it to anyone, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safely in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. We're all tempted to want to lock up our heart and save it from being hurt by people. Paul's prayer was... Give it away. Give your heart away. Give your faith away. Because that's how we finally understand all that we are in Christ. Now, I'm keenly aware 
that here in the Northeast, the prevailing attitude is you don't share your faith. Religion is meant to be private. I don't want to talk about my religion, and I hope you will not talk about yours. I was doing a religious survey a while back, and I asked a woman, do you have any desire for a more personal faith? She said, sir, my faith couldn't be more personal. I've never told anybody about it, and I don't plan to. I said, welcome to the Northeast. This is the way it is. Religion is not to be shared, it's to be kept. Private is possible. And when you lock it up in private, it ultimately is dead. Faith grows by sharing, and so does love. If you want your religion to be private, you have that right. But if you want it to be alive, it grows as it's shared. I'm touched by Paul's prayer for Philemon. And lastly, the church can be seen in the open and vulnerable relationship that Paul encountered with Philemon. There are two attitudes in this letter that Paul shows toward Philemon. One of them characterizes a great text in Hebrews 10.24 that says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. I think the uh, King James says, let us provoke one another to love and good works. I'm touched by Paul's risking himself. Philemon was a friend. It's a risky thing when you say to your friend, Philemon, you need to forgive this slave and take him back. It's a risky thing to do. Philemon may not have wanted to hear that from Paul, but Paul did it. He said, Philemon... I want you to forgive Onesimus. He confronted him lovingly. Most of us here have taken some steps of spiritual growth because somewhere along the way, some friend risked himself or herself to say, you need to do this. You need to grow. You need to risk yourself. And I'm risking myself to tell you. When I was a teenager, one of the men of our local church came and said, Paul, we're starting a boys club and I want you to be a leader. I didn't want to be a leader. And I didn't want to be a leader under him because I knew he was a perfectionist. And he demanded a lot of people. And I told him no. And he came and confronted me and said, Paul, you need to do this for your own good. So I did. And I didn't do it well. And he confronted me many times about my sloven attitudes and my need to grow as a leader, as a disciplined person. That man is still alive, but he still writes to me. I think I, I, I hope he thinks I'm doing better than I was when I was a teenager. Invaluable, this man in my life. He risked himself. The church does that. Paul says to Philemon, Philemon, you need to do it. If you believe the gospel, this is how you apply it. The church is about... All about that. The text says, confront one another. Provoke one another to love and to good work. I like that attitude in this letter. The other attitude is Paul's vulnerability. Notice in verse 20. Paul said to Philemon, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. One of the most difficult things to do is to ask for help. 
to look another brother or sister in the eye and say, dear friend, I need your help. Panhandlers are people who ask for things, but they don't care a lick about you. All they want is your money. But when a friend looks you in the eye and says, friend, I need your help. I need help. Can you give it to me? That's a life-changing moment. It opens the door for a deepening relationship that may last forever when somebody really asks for your help. Philemon's life could never be the same again. The great Apostle Paul had said to Philemon, Philemon, I need you. Not only would it be difficult for Philemon to say no, but he, he'd never forget as long as he lived. Paul is my friend. He asked me for help. Hard to do that. It's what the church is all about. Without embarrassment, this morning I'm asking you to respond to, to the message of this letter. I'm asking you to think about being a Philemon. I'm, I'm asking you to respond today right where you are. I'm asking you to think about being a Philemon. To, to allow God to motivate you about where he wants you in hospitality in your life. Hospitality doesn't have just to do with your house or your home. Hospitality is an attitude that makes room in your life for people. I want to challenge you to think about sharing your faith. The idea of, of allowing your response to God and your love for God to be something that you allow other people to participate in in your life. And perhaps in the process for God to be making you a more open and vulnerable person. The power of the church in society is deeply related to that kind of response. Let's bow our heads quietly for a moment before we leave. And I want to ask you, in whatever way God may be nudging you, to speak that back to him. Father, thank you for the body of believers and for this body of believers. For so many folk who have come to saving faith in Christ. I thank you for this church family, for this reunion of being all together on this one day. And I pray that the impact and realization of that may motivate us to be Philemon's, to allow Paul's prayer to be a prayer for us to allow Paul's model of opening his heart to challenge us to risk ourselves in the lives of other people. I pray that in this quiet moment you will allow us to take steps that will make a difference. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.